Hello and welcome to the first Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast of 2021 with me, Gareth Hannon. We're back to the original duo of Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hiya. And Adam McCandry. Hello, Adam. Afternoon, guys. Happy New Year to you both and to all our listeners as well. Jonathan, did you a nice time off? We haven't heard from you from a couple of weeks. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Been back to work three or four days now, so I'm not quite as depressed as I once was. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Easing yourself into 2021. Adam, Christmas was uh, busier than ever as you were covering for the rest of us who were taking time off. Yeah, thanks for that, guys. Leave me high and dry while Marcel could see it. Decided to head off to South Africa. Um, a real trooper. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just glad I, I pretty much have this entire week off. So I'm planning on taking a lot of time back. <laughs> we have plenty to discuss this week as always then thanks to the change in the pro 14 structure which we talked about last week we're now looking ahead to what is a potentially the defining moment of ulster's season a january trip to the rds strange times indeed but we'll also look back at the win over monster and address some of your listener questions as we go along as always so before we get to all that uh, lockdown seem to be coming back into fashion uh, all over the place so what does that mean for rugby? Do we know anything yet, Jonathan? Well, the Pro 14 is an elite sport. Stop smirking. <laughs> so in line with everybody else's lockdowns, then elite sport is still permitted. So nothing should change for that unless those in charge change their minds again. So all rugby regarding Ulster is uh, and Ireland is still on until it's not on, which is not yet. This feels very like February, doesn't it? Yeah, it Just does. Ha- Having conversations of like it's happening until somebody says it's not happening, you know, and then just having to get the podcast out as quickly as possible after <laughs> before it goes out of date. Um, but even looking further ahead, then with regards to Six Nations, the likes of the Rainbow Cup or the Lions Tour, which obviously involve uh, more travel, are those likely to go ahead? Like for for what we know now, well, I can't see I can't see a Lions Tour going ahead without fans. Sorry, not I can't see a Lions Tour going ahead without fans. There's no point to Alliance Tour without fans. Mm. So if that gets cancelled in the next month, which seems likely, then you either have a hole in your calendar, which a sensible sport would use to initiate a global calendar and start again and fix the problem that they've had for the past 25 years. But rugby will probably just do something else. (laughs) It'll be exciting to find out, which... Adam, I think you had maybe pointed this out when we were talking earlier, that if the Lions Tour isn't going ahead in South Africa, that could potentially have ramifications for the end of Ulster season and the Rainbow Cup. Well, yeah, logically, you would say that if they cancel the Lions Tour, then you really shouldn't have club teams travelling to South Africa a few months beforehand. So I would imagine that if the Lions Tour got cancelled, then there would probably be some conversations held behind closed doors about whether or not the Rainbow Cup can go ahead. I thought they were quite premature in announcing it so far out, especially whenever you consider how the coronavirus is spreading in South Africa. I know over in England, Matt Hancock has said that they're very worried about this new strain in South Africa. So for them to have announced that the Rainbow Cup's going ahead in April, whenever we really don't know what the situation is going to be like, was very forward thinking, but also very early so I I would find it difficult logically to see the Rainbow Cup going ahead if the Lions Tour got cancelled it's a slightly different proposition for the Rainbow Cup because you wouldn't have all the fans traveling so therefore 
you don't have 30,000 fans from the UK traveling to South Africa to watch these games. And the likelihood is you could probably play the Rainbow Cup games behind closed doors, whereas you couldn't with the Lions because of the financial implications. But if you cancel the Lions tour, I certainly think optically it probably wouldn't look too good if the Rainbow Cup went ahead. But there's there's an easier way for them to do it. The Rainbow Cup could go ahead, but logically probably not. Hmm. Well, look, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see, as always, on all of this and the constantly shifting landscape that is the coronavirus pandemic. Fingers crossed, the vaccines will will do the job, and maybe by April things will be a lot more back to something that we call uh, normal or the old normal now, I suppose. Uh, but well, we'll wait and see. For now, though, we uh, do know, we think we know what's happening with the Pro 14 season and Ulster's chances of success. We're given another boost on Saturday when they beat Munster 15-10. And then Lancer went on to be unexpectedly beaten at home by Connacht a couple of hours later. Jonathan, that had uh, significant ramifications more than anything for your comment piece, which had to be rewritten thoughtlessly of, uh, of Leinster and Connacht. But when it did make it to press then, the amended version, uh, it was obviously a, a potentially momentous day for Ulster's chances, given that they're now 10 points clear of Leinster, albeit haven't played uh, two games more. But you still seem to have that sort of nagging frustration that earlier on in the day, while Ulster had won, they hadn't got maximum points. Yeah, well, obviously, Sunday newspaper deadlines being what they are meant that I had to start the piece before the Leinster game, but... So while I at the when I first started it, I thought that Ulster's failure to get the bonus point was going to mean that Leinster were going to be closing the gap because the way the season has gone, you almost assume that if you don't take five points, then Leinster are going to. So um because they had done in every game prior to Saturday. I but I still think you can I still think there should be that sort of palpable frustration. And I assume that there will be within the team as well of not getting five points because if you look at how finely poised it is, now Leinster's games in hand are against Scarlets and Munster. So they're against two of the small handful of teams in this league that are competitive. So it's not like we are just going to give them the 10 points and assume that they're going to draw a level. But those are the margins that you're talking about. Like these two teams theoretically could have six games remaining, two of which are going to be against each other and be level on points with only one of them making the final. So every point is absolutely massive. I think I said in the piece, like it feels somewhat strange to be saying it, you know, after you win an Interpro against Monster, that it should have been a five-pointer. But just in terms of the disparity between the experience of the teams and the fact that Ulster had scored their second try after 16 minutes, you would have expected them to get five points. And then in a league where one point at present could be the difference between making the final and your season ending on the whatever it is, the 20th of March or something. We'll, we'll talk no, about, that, more about that later, Adam, uh, about Ulster's chances. But if we just go on to the game itself, Ulster's game, that is, the 15-10 win. What did you make of of that, Adam? Was there that did you share that frustration? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think whenever you looked at the team that Munster were sending down, you looked at the team that Ulster were putting out, you thought there's a chance for five points here. And especially whenever they ran in the two tries so early, I think there was definitely a sense of this could be quite a high scoring game from an Ulster perspective but I think Munster did kind of rally after that and I think Ulster also shot themselves in in the foot to an extent I I don't quite understand why they took the penalty towards the end of the first half uh, after kicking to the corner with 
with the first few. But it, it was just one of those games where Ulster looked like they were trying a bit too hard in that second half. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the try in the, the tries in the first half, the first one came off a great set-piece move and the second one was a great crossfield kick from Burns to McElroy. But they just suddenly started to try to get too fancy early in the in the second half and then it just didn't quite click. I don't know if it was the conditions. It was bitterly cold. Like I, I don't think I can over over exaggerate like how cold it was. I couldn't feel my feet after about fifteen minutes into the game. So you know that's the kind of conditions that they were playing in. But just passes started to hit the ground. Chris Cluda had a great game for Munster. He was really disruptive at, at the breakdown. I felt like Ulster really missed Jordy Murphy or certainly Marcel for the first sort of forty five minutes. But they they just could never get into that rhythm after that sixteenth minute. Mm-hmm. Once once they had gotten those first two tries, they just never quite clicked again. And that's the frustration for me. It's not it's not necessarily that they didn't get the, the five points. It's the fact that Ulster didn't put in that cohesive performance that they were looking for, especially going into the Leinster game. You know, they want something that they could take from last week into this week that they could take a lot of confidence from. But just it just never seemed to click after the 15th minute and for me if you're taking away something from that game it's the fact that they just didn't look like a really sharp attacking unit Jonathan add that on to the recent European games is Ulster's form maybe a little bit of a worry then going into next week I don't know like I obviously wasn't on to talk about it but like I thought the Connacht result was particularly impressive not a game I thought they were going to win they still got the win arguably off the back of their result against Connacht Leinster aren't going to be feeling as good about their own form as Ulster are um, having not played the week before and Leinster obviously have to focus on Europe whereas Ulster shouldn't really care because they should be putting all their eggs in the Pro 14 basket because it's it's there for them in a way that Europe isn't yeah I'm falling into the trap of talking about next week already, and I didn't mean to. It's just, it's very exciting, guys, isn't it? But uh, if we talk a bit about Ethan McElroy, who is also exciting to talk about, because on what was, what was it, like a seventh or eighth senior appearance, something like that, and to, to come away with Mara Match will have been a very encouraging day. Uh, what did you make of him, John? I thought it was really, really good. Um I've not seen too much of him in person because quite a few of his games have been away. So I've not like really seen an awful lot of him up close mm-hmm. since um, since he was playing in school, really, I suppose, or the odd game for the A-team when he's gone off injured a few times. So I just thought the overall development of his game, like not his try because like the kick was so good that he just had to catch it, but like his <laughs> tackle on Shane Daly in the first half was a huge moment because Munster were sort of building up a head of steam off sort of what Adam had said about Ulster giving them that sort of foothold back into the game. Ulster um, restarts weren't great, things like that. And if Shane Daly had a got outside in there, I think Munster were going to score a try. So that was a huge moment. And then just as well from watching at the stadium rather than watching on TV, his kick chase was something that jumped out of me as well has been really really uh, a strong part of his game too that he's um, developed I think so like overall just 
I know obviously like he was he was your favorite player that school's copier Garrett so you don't need you don't need any of us to tell <laughs> to tell you about him but um I was really impressed with how I think the other sort of aspects of his game seemed to have come along mm-hmm. his, his ability to get through a tackle I was really impressed with there were a couple of drives right below us and they probably stick out in my memory a bit more because they were so close to us but he was just able to get out of a couple of tackles every single time just make that extra yard which is something that's really impressive for a winger of his stature he's not the biggest guy you know he's not a big bulky runner like um Nadolo or Naya Rivero or someone like that who you'd expect to be wriggling out of tackles but McElroy is just really good at getting that extra yard and it's the composure you know this guy's still in the academy and in fact if you go back to last January this time last year he wasn't in the academy he had been overlooked for Connor Rankin and now he's here really putting his hand up for some game time in the in the big games you I'd start him against Leinster this week because he's just putting in those performances that are making you say we've given you your chance and you've impressed enough that we should put you in. Like, if you think about who stood out more between him and Matt Faddis over the last few weeks, you'd say it's Ethan McElroy. Faddis hasn't done anything wrong, but McElroy just seems to have that little bit of an extra sparkle when he has the ball in his hands. And that's probably why I, I think he should be given the nod against Leinster. That's a big call. We'll talk we'll talk in depth about the team for Leinster later on. But John and Matt Faddis had plenty to say about uh, about Ethan after the game and I think in his words he said he's got a hell of a future ahead of him what what do you see that future being because as Adam says he wasn't in the academy this time last year or a year and a half ago or whatever maybe it was looking like just wasn't sure whether he would uh, follow up that promise that I had been bumming and blowing about after his school's cup year but what do you now see as uh, Ethan McElroy's potential? Well I think it, like that scenario of him not making the academy I'd write is you know, it obviously gets brought up a lot, but like you do have to remember that you know Sher McCluskey didn't make the academy I'd write. Mm. Craig Gilroy, if I remember correctly, didn't make the academy I'd write. And he's played for Ulster more time <laughs> more times than anyone. He's in the current squad, I think. Um yeah. Rob's probably pushing pushing him close. Um Balakin didn't make the academy initially. Disgrace. So it's not it's not like it's a death knell to even your hopes in Ulster and like Adam's got a good piece in the paper today but it's not a death nail to your hopes to be a professional rugby player elsewhere either so you don't want to over egg the pudding on the not making the academy slight thing but um, you know you are talking about a guy that played under 20s for Ireland so it's not like he was massively off the radar or anything but the fact of the matter is that in terms of the queue he's jumped ahead of all those guys I think for all of us in terms of watching him but far more importantly for Dan McFarlane because he's getting selected ahead of those guys mm. um, I think yeah you said seven games and they've not been inconsequential games he's not been getting two minutes off the bench at the end of things like you know he <laughs> albeit briefly um, thanks to his yellow card appeared in the Champions Cup he started the Interpro in what was essentially a full strength side that was as strong a side apart from Katsia on the bench obviously as strong a side as they could really go with so the fact of the matter is that he's now probably what their third choice winger out of everyone that's available possibly as you know Adam said there possibly even second choice now mm-hmm. um, so you know it's it's not about him not making the sub academy anymore it's about the fact that he's jumped ahead of so many guys not just of his own peer group but 
far more experienced players as well in the senior pecking order. And it's more proof that if these young guys come in and impress, there's chances for them. You know, we talk about giving academy guys a chance, but there's no point in giving them chances only whenever guys are injured. You got to put them in and trust them. And here's proof that if you're trusted and you perform well, then you will stick in the squad. And that is why you probably see these guys having good games because they know that if they impress, they will stick in there. So I think there's got to be that that backing him up from the coaching staff. They've got to say, yeah, you've been playing well, so we're not going to drop you just because we think we need experience. We're going to keep you on because you're the hot hand. I can imagine people maybe rolling their eyes at me asking this, but look, I like to get excited about our young players when they come through, particularly the young backs and young wingers. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Ireland potential. And I'm going to ask you, who are you leaving out of the squad? Well, like, I don't mean like immediately. I mean in the future. McElroy won the one-on-one with Shane Daly, so now he's won the one-on-one to get into the Ireland squad with him. There you go. <laughs> okay, you've made your point. It, it, it's not just you, but like, if you have potential to start for your province, then you've near enough got like at worst a one in eight chance of playing for Ireland. So like if you establish yourself as a European Cup starter at your province, then of course you have potential to play for Ireland because there isn't that many players available. Yeah. All right. Okay. Fine. All right. Um, So we'll just have a little listen then to what Matt Faddis had to say because uh, he was uh, very keen to praise young Ethan McElroy, rightly so, after his man of the match performance. So here is Matt Faddis. Great player. Good bloke too. He's a he's a nice, relaxed bloke. He doesn't get overwhelmed by occasions, and um, yeah, you can obviously see it in his footy. He's he's comfortable under the high ball. He's he's great on attack, and his defensive efforts tonight was brilliant as well. So I mean, he's got a hell of a future ahead of him, and I enjoy the bloke. He, he's nice and chill. I mean, there's probably a lot of players who had potential and were too relaxed. Um, so you definitely got to have a balance of being, yeah, being relaxed and having that hard working attitude. And I think Ethan's definitely got it. He's a smart footballer and yeah, he'll, he'll put, a, put an effort in every game. So that takes care of the, the second try then that Ethan obviously scored himself with the help, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Adam, from Billy Burns. Uh, fantastic cross-field kick from him. The first try then was uh, equally impressive in many ways, uh, involving Hume Stockdale setting up uh, Faddis. So Jonathan Stockdale was, was there in his role as a fullback. Once again, for the first time in uh, I don't know, maybe about six weeks since he last played fullback. I don't know, but uh, how did you how did you find it? Can we still call it an experiment? Whatever it is, I thought it was another one of those times when you see the advantages of it because he just got on the ball an awful lot yeah. more. Like he got an awful lot of touches coming in, linking well with Burns, playing that. I suppose what Ireland would like him to be the second receiver, the second playmaker at fifteen. Um, and he was bright. He was obviously good under the high ball which you expect and um, probably didn't get tested really defensively which is where people obviously still question his validity as a fullback I suppose but um, I thought he was good it's easy to forget with Stockdale that he is one of Ulster's three best players like you know yeah, for all he's, the criticism he's... people throw at the guy like he's one of their sprinkling of top top quality test players like yeah and he's still a very very good fullback it's not like we're talking about him being a, a cracking winger and a terrible fullback he's a cracking winger and he's a cracking fullback he's just a better winger than he is a fullback yeah it, it, he, he made his own bed he set the bar too high for himself that's why I try not to excel at anything ever because then people start to expect it of you it's never been a problem you're doing a bang up job 
<laughs> what about David McCann, Adam? You'd, well, before we get to David McCann, David McCann uh, was uh, given his first senior start because Marcel Katia was not starting, which was the first time in his whatever number it is, 54, whatever, something like that, uh, Ulster games he's played. Is there was there anything to read into that in terms of the the fact that we've just learned that he's leaving and then all of a sudden he's on the bench for the first time ever or no just he was no like, I'm I'm gonna shut this down right now no he's coming back from injury you're wanting to give a guy like McCann his first start at some point um, so why not now why not put him on the bench now Munster are sending up a half strength team you know they're sending up a half strength team so ease Marcel back in after he's suffered a, a head knock a few weeks ago and let McCann have a lash at it for 80 minutes. You know, you don't need to put Marcel back in from the start. And to be quite frank, I'm surprised Ulster haven't had him on the bench for a game in the past. You know, just there are some games that you could afford to put him on the bench. So I, I don't think this has anything to do with the South Africa announcement. Because the thing is, we, we've even though we've only found out officially that Marcel is going at the end of the season... Ulster have known that he wanted to go since the summer. He told them in the summer that he wanted to leave at the end of the season and go back to South Africa. So if there are any uh, selection issues surrounding this, it would have happened earlier in the season. You probably wouldn't have had him playing all, what was it, eight games uh, at the start of the season. So I I think it just so happens that this game is the one where they stuck him on the bench and it just happens to be the first one he's been available for. After he announced, or after the official announcement came that he was leaving, so Dan for, was given yeah. a rash. How did he go? I thought he went well. I thought he went very well uh, for a guy making his first start in a back row against guys like Clota, who had such a good game. I thought he went quite well. I I still don't think he's an open side. I think after watching him in this game, I don't think he was an open side, and I think that was probably why Clota had such a good game because he didn't have that sort of groundhog seven to go up against. He was able to have a good game at the breakdown, but from the general aspects of his game, I thought he was, I thought McCann was good. I thought he carried well. He made a lot of tackles. I think he, I think he was Ulster's best tackler. He made 12 uh, across the course of the 80 minutes. So, you know, from that perspective, I thought he was very good, but again, you know, I, I think, I still think he's better utilized at blindsider number eight. And I think that's where his future is. So, mm-hmm. but it, it was, it was a decent first start. Uh, I certainly wouldn't think he he did himself any harm during that game at all. So time is ticking on as always, Jonathan, but we should note the the other two debutants off the bench, Nathan Doak and Callum Reid. How were you uh, impressed with them? It's not really fair to judge them on that particular one period of time and two period of the game because what were they going to do? Like Munster, they came on basically just as Ulster, it seems to me, had been deflated by the fact that they didn't score during that period of pressure, and then the rest of the game was all monster. I think like, Doak spent really, his entire debut defending. Yeah, like also <laughs> didn't really have an attack yeah. after um, that one that was adjudged a to be a Kieran Treadwell yeah. knock-on. That's when they, they needed to score then, and they didn't. And at that point, just the life went out of the game, I thought. And to be fair, it had been a pretty listless opening to the second half anyway before that. Um, mm. So it wasn't a particularly good moment to make your debut because you're not really mm. going to show what you can do, but I obviously don't think it'll be the last we see of either of them either. <laughs> no. Well, I, th- I thought I thought Reed came out with a bit of credit. You know, look, he got Simbin at the very end there, where, you know, I 
I think it was a little bit harsh. I, I wasn't quite sure who was sort of infringing. Someone should have got a yellow card, but um, but he had one good carry. Uh, he had one very good carry up the middle. He was part of the great defensive effort. You know, he made his tackles. He didn't get to see him with ball in hand as much as he wanted to. And the thing is, there's an opening at loose head. You know, also behind Eric O'Sullivan and Jack McGrath, no one's really stepped up to really make that third jersey their own. So there is a chance for him there. And if he can work his way back into another squad, there's every chance he could really start to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And as I said, with with Doak, you, you can't really learn anything from Doak's debut because he barely got his hands on the ball just because Ulster were doing so much defending. But we'll definitely see him again, I'm sure. So the long and the short of the, the day's action then is that Ulster are 10 points clear at the top of the pool, but have played two games more, as we say, than Leinster. Philip Totten asks, with the added competition of the South African teams coming in, and the loss of Kutsia and the financial impact of COVID to cope with next season, is it now or never for Ulster to win the Pro 14? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's a good point. Like It's not that it's now or never, but they'll never have a better chance mm. to win it than now because... Something that's been really interesting about the way that Ulster have recruited, or it's maybe not even intentional, but what they've ended up with is a squad of experienced test quality, if you like, players that aren't playing test rugby. So in that group, I'm including guys like Jordy Murphy, Ian Madigan, Jack McGrath. You know, those guys have over 100 caps, I would say, between them, but they're not playing test rugby throw Sam Carter could see into the mix and then throw in the fact that McCluskey doesn't play for Ireland a lot Cooney doesn't play for Ireland a lot and you're set up to excel during test windows because you still have players of these quality that other and experience that other teams just don't have and there'll never be another season where so much of the rugby is played out during test windows and so much of the important rugby is played out during test windows so whether it's through accident or by whether it's through accident or by design, this is Ulster's best chance that they're going to have because realistically, the vast majority of these games, and I still find it hard to believe that they're going to have everyone available for a Pro 14 final a week after the Six Nations if Ireland are going for, if Ireland are going for a Grand Slam against England and if these guys have played five weeks out of seven yeah. in the test. I find it hard to believe that some of them are going to line out a week later in a Pro 14 final as well. So, Theoretically, this is a league season where in all but a handful of cases, games are going to be won by the non-internationals. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, in a, we're in a situation now where, as Johnny mentioned earlier, it's going to be a two-horse race between Ulster and Leinster. And it could come down to the two games that they play against each other. If they both win all their other games, it'll, it will come down to that other meeting between Ulster and Leinster at Kingspan Stadium, whatever round that's going to be in. But that's going to be during the Six Nations. Who's going to be more affected by the Six Nations in terms of call-ups and player unavailability? It's going to be Leinster. And in Belfast, you would back Ulster to beat them without all their internationals, mm. especially if they've got Cooney, McCluskey, uh, all those guys available. Yeah. So if if you're looking at it from a Conference A perspective, this is 100% the best chance that Ulster are going to get to win Conference A and go to the final. And then it's a if you face Munster in the final, again, who's going to be more affected by call-ups if you still don't have your Ireland players available? Again, it's going to be Munster who are more affected and it's going to be Ulster who will benefit. And the chances are, because of the way 
the conferences are. The game's going to be held in Belfast because Ulster would have the better record. Mm. So everything seems to be aligning for Ulster here if they can manage to stay in touch with Leinster so that whenever they do meet later in the season, that the one game in Belfast is sort of a one-game shootout for who goes to the final and affect the semi-final. How many trophies will they ever get the, the chance to win without having to beat Leinster outside Belfast? It's, uh, well, that's the, that's the exact point. Yeah. This is the only time that you, unless somebody else knocks Leinster out, which is theoretically possible, but if you look at Ulster's history over the past decade, it doesn't happen as often as they would like. Mm. This is the time when you can win a trophy without having to play a full-strength Leinster. There we go. Let's say no more before we put the jinx on it. Uh, Donald does put another spin on it, though. He asks this season, uh, he says this season has mutated a few times already, from Pro 14 to Pro 12 to Pro 16, hypothetically. If Ulster win it, would it be a trophy with an asterisk? Uh, he says there's abbreviated playoffs, there's possibly unfulfilled fixtures for Leinster, Welsh and Scottish sides are poorer than ever. Would you put an asterisk on it if Ulster win this? Yeah, I mean, you're talking it? to somebody that wrote a book about a competition that didn't have any English teams in it. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's exactly what I was going to say. Like, do you put an asterisk on the 98-99 yeah. European Cup? If also in it, it will never, ever, ever be mentioned that this there was anything strange about this season whatsoever. <laughs> Not so, look, there, I think you can guarantee it'll be mentioned in Leinster. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Like, there, there will, there will definitely be people who... They'll still yeah. be uh, calling it four in a row, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So this game, obviously, all of that means this game this weekend is very significant indeed. We have just had an Ulster injury update released to us not so long ago. It says Sean Reedy's out for three months with shoulder surgery, which is obviously a, a significant blow for Ulster's chances um, of success overall then this season. Yeah, like Sean, like Sean Reedy was their second best back rower in 2020. Like he's not their second highest profile back rower by any means, but he was their, like next to Marcel, he was their best back yeah. rower. So, you know, it's it doesn't get as much headlines or column inches as probably Reedy's importance to the team warrants that it will, but it's a like it's a big, big loss. And the other part of that, probably just signaling that fact, I'm just now moving on to talk about somebody else after mere seconds. But uh, that's no reflection on Sean Reedy. That's because time is ticking away on us. Jacob Stocktail was the other name on that. Uh, it just says he's uh, being monitored basically before this game this weekend. Adam, is that would you expect him to play, or is it maybe a case of Ulster just trying not to let Anster know for definite that he's out? Probably a little bit of mind games going on, but probably not too much. You know, I'm I'm a big believer that if a team doesn't do their research on every player that could potentially play, then. They, they haven't done their own work properly. So um, if Leinster haven't researched Jacob Stockdale going into this game, then, you know, I, I really don't think Ulster saying that he might play is, is that big a smokescreen, to be perfectly honest. Um, I wouldn't want anyone to get too paranoid, but I would say if Stockdale's injured or more injured than the IRFU know, and I would say if the IRFU know, then somebody in Leinster knows too. <laughs> Probably. But um, yeah, I, I would say... Ulster will give him every opportunity to play because as as we've said, this is the big game of the next three. This is the big game that Ulster have to win. Uh, so if they feel like they can get him on the field this week and then rest him for Gloucester and Toulouse, I think they'll do that uh, mm. rather than keeping him out this week and then playing him against Gloucester and Toulouse. If it, it, they would rather he plays one game than two. Absolutely. Play me and you against Gloucester and Toulouse if it means they can play a full-strength team against Leinster. 
Frank, I've, I've been told I have a rapid pass from the base of the rocks, so <laughs> like give Europe, me a shot, Europe Dan. Cannot, Europe cannot play into their thinking at all, I think, when the no. Pro 14 yeah. is so obviously there for them. Yeah. We'll keep our fingers crossed then for, for Jacob for this weekend. So that brings us on to the team. Adam, you've said earlier that you would include Ethan McElroy in a back three, presumably then with Jacob all being well and uh, on the wing with our, our good friend at fullback. Yep, I, I would definitely go with that back three. I, I think it's really harsh on Matt Faddis. I, I think he's been really solid. He hasn't been spectacular. He hasn't had massive standout plays, but he's just been so solid on the wing. You've never seen him out of position. You've never seen him missing. We were speaking to him after the game, and he said that there were you know defensive things that he's worked on that he's really happy with. And I think you have seen that. I think... He, He's just someone that you can rely on to give you that consistent performance that never really gets that standout level. But McElroy has just been impressive. You know, he's a young guy. He looks so composed. Munster was definitely his best game in an Ulster jersey. I think you stick with that. I think you reward him and you say you have been playing well, so we're going to keep you in there. And now you're going up against the best team in this league. So prove to us what you're really made of and go out there and have a good game. So, Johnny, if we have that as a, a back three, Cooney and Burns as the half-backs, what do you do at centre? I would say, like, centres, McCluskey and James Hume, absolutely. Um, they're turning into a really good partnership, I thought. I thought Hume played played well against Monster, and I think almost his skill set complements McCluskey in a way, but it also, he can replicate some of the things that McCluskey can do as well, which frees McCluskey up to be this um, mall destroying auxiliary forward thing that we've seen in the last uh, the last little while. I don't like. I'd I'd be I'd be fifty fifty about the Fadas Marco I call like. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with Fadas last season, um, but it, like he had a good interview with with Michael a few weeks back, um, possibly a few months back. My time. <laughs> Um, time has just become one massive blob at this point so yeah. it, it, it could be March who knows um, but he had a good interview with Michael just about um, I suppose the adjustment period and the different type of rugby but I think he's uh, you're now seeing the benefit of those sort of te- coming out the other side of those teething problems and like I think he's he's played pretty well so I like I think I would be tempted to go with Fadis with Marco on the bench just just on Hume I don't know if you thought the same Johnny but I thought Ulster really used his pace well last week I think for for a few weeks, he was used as sort of a more physical option. I thought on, for, what was that, Saturday night, we saw much more of his pace and much more of his stepping ability than what we have in previous weeks. And I thought he looked a lot better whenever they were trying to use him like that instead of how they've used him in other weeks. His pass for uh, Fattis' try was exceptional. I thought that was one of the best passes I've seen from a centre in a long time, just right flat at the line to put Stockdale into space. I, I just think he was used in a slightly different way to how we've seen him in previous weeks, and that suited him a lot better. And we saw a lot more from him offensively. Yeah, like I mean, I just think like he's got a he's got a very well-rounded skill set, and I think you need to make the most of that and use him, you know, use him in that way. And it's going to be like I do think it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out whenever Luke Marshall comes back, and then you've got Stuart Murray in the in the mix there as well. Like, um, especially if. McCluskey doesn't play for Ireland during the Six Nations. I think he'll probably will probably be in a similar situation to we were um, during the Autumn Nations Cup and stuff, where you don't see that many releases. But I think Hume has done an awful lot right over the past whatever it is, four months now, five months, mm-hmm. um, in that thirteen jersey, and just it looks to me like it's a it's a good partnership between the pair of them. 
Well, if we move into the pack then, uh, either side of Rob Herring in the front row. Oh, Eric O'Sullivan and, well, sorry, Eric O'Sullivan, obviously. Um, and then probably Marty Murr with Tom O'Toole coming off the bench. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, Tighthead sort of a 50-50 one because, you know, we've, we've seen Tom start and Marty come off the bench and seen Marty start and Tom come off the bench. If they were to, if they were continue sort of the rotation, you'd have Tom starting this week and Marty coming off the bench. But it's really horses for courses. You know, the two of them offer sort of very different aspects to the game. I think you get more carrying from Tom O'Toole than you do from Marty Murr, but Marty's sort of general all-around work is better and I think his overall scrummaging is a lot better and you got to consider if you've got Kean Healy coming back into the to the Leinster side and the loose head I think you want that solid base at the scrum so you probably start Marty I think like Tom is good defensively to be fair to him like yeah. um what was it 98 tackles in 2020 not a single one missed like, yeah, that's, like, that's outstanding defensive work that's that's the kind of thing you expect from your back row not your tight head prop Rob, Rob Herring probably sticks um as many tackles as anyone um, too, so normally. So, um, yeah, with that front row and Eric O'Sullivan making tackles as well, you've got an awful lot of industry from your front row if you go that way. So we have Alan O'Connor and Sam Carter uh, at lock with Marcel presumably returning. No, John, are you not sure about that? It's an interesting game for me in terms of the second row because Leinster's line-out has been an ongoing problem, which would push you, obviously, towards Sam Carter. But if you watch that Connacht game, what's come out of it and the buzzwords that have come out of it around the sort of post-mortem of Leinster actually losing a game from their own camp has been, you know, the physicality and the energy. And you look at Connacht and what they were able to bring in terms of that. And in a way, that's almost more suited to Kieran Treadwell. But I, I I think Saturday's game against Munster was a very physical game. And Ulster conceded less points against Munster than Connacht. So I, I, I don't think Carter's necessarily a, a step down in physicality. I think Treadwell's physicality is more obvious on the pitch, but I don't think you're necessarily getting a step down in physicality from Sam Carter when you have him oh, sorry, I meant I meant that you should possibly go with both of them. Oh, sorry, Carter and Treadwell. Oh, sorry. Yeah, not a bad shout. I don't know. I, I just like Alan O'Connor and how reliable he is. Well, certainly, yeah. I, which is why it feels almost yeah. wrong to suggest that he shouldn't play this game. Yeah, yeah. But I just think if you're talking about, like, for me, watching that game, like, a huge part of what Connor were doing was the, was the energy that they were bringing to the game. And it's not that Alan Connor doesn't bring energy and doesn't bring leadership, but he maybe just does it in a more, I guess, understated way. Whereas Tread, Treadwell is definitely Ulster's, like, loudest, mm-hmm. most obviously, like, and again, like it, it could be completely intangible. It might not make any difference whatsoever. It's just listening to what Leinster were saying about what they find difficult about the Connacht performance almost sounds more akin to Kieran Treadwell's strengths, I think. But I could be wrong. Another one to, to look out for. Uh, anytime I pretend to know that I might be able to guess uh who is playing in any position for Ulster? I get it wrong uh, so far, it seems. But I think I well, can... no, I think you probably guess what most oh, no. people. Mm-hmm. I've just yeah, been... yeah. <clears throat> I, I think though, Marcel could see it might come into the back row. Probably. probably. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you'll get short odds on that. Along with who? I go Jordy Murphy at seven. Look, the other person is for me Nick Timoney 
off the back of his last two performances, off the back of his last three performances, sorry, I think he's been really good. And I don't know if that's necessarily because it con- coincided with the announcement of Marcel's departure or whether he's been holding this in reserve for the entire time he wasn't in the team. But I think Timothy's been one of Ulster's real bright spots over the last three weeks. He's really stepped up his game. His breakdown work was outstanding. And just his, his general work around the pitch has been brilliant as well. Um, but the the question is how you then line them up. You know, I I would be very tempted to put Marcel at six and start Nick at eight simply for some continuity of where Timoney's been playing. But I, either way, you know, you, you can have them either way around. You can have Nick at six and Marcel at eight. Just I think they're they're your three. It just depends sort of what positions you put them in. Okay, well, uh, time as we say taken away, but. If we, we, we know sort of the guts of uh, Ulster's team, Lancer's team will be a very different one, Jonathan, than the one that was beaten by Connacht, considering they have you know, a full team of Ireland internationals to come back into. Ryan, Porter, Henshaw, Doris, Healy, Gibson Park, and they're hopeful Johnny Saxon and Larmer will both make it as well. So it's going to be a very different task than one Connacht faced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Saxon will obviously be one to watch going through the return to play protocols. Scott Penny has been brilliant um, this year in the same boat. And then they have got a good number of injuries as well, but obviously they've got good players coming in and replace them. You know, it'll be interesting, I think, to see if Jordan Armour comes back. That seems a little bit earlier than we'd originally anticipated. So that would be a bit of a surprise. I know Furlong was back in, togged out of training today, but again, not, I think, with a view to playing this weekend. So, like, you know, you, you know that you're going to get a strong team. And perversely, I suppose, given that it was a result that benefited Ulster in terms of the table, you know that you're now going to get a response from Lanster too. And, you know, <laughs> if it's rare that they lose one game, it's even rarer that they lose two in a row. So the cha- the challenge is going to be sizable. But I think the fact that whether through forward planning or whether through the Leinster Munster game getting called off or whatever it seems like you're going to have two sides that are going to be as strong as they can reasonably expect to be which is obviously great for us great for the league and just great for the possibility of getting a spectral the thing is you, you talk about a response from Leinster and I'm sure the coaches no doubt will have been drilling into them you know we we need a response to what happened on Friday or on Saturday night. I keep getting my days mixed up. How many of that Leinster team that will that played on Saturday are going to be involved on Friday night? If they bring back all their internationals, there's maybe only going to be two or three. So if you're talking about a response, you know, you, there's only a small number of players who are actually going to get the chance to enact that response. And I understand it's a whole squad thing, but if you weren't involved in a game like that, how much of a response can you actually have in the next game? You know, it's, it's one thing sitting in the sitting on the sidelines and watching a game that you're frustrated with and actually playing in it. I don't think that there's necessarily going to be a response from Leinster that'll be much beyond what we would have expected from them in the first place, which is a, the best team in the league who don't want to lose a game at home. I don't think it's going to be anything necessarily more than that in terms of response. Well, it, just, it just depends in terms of who's back from injury. Like, you know, they're still, I suppose, not 100% sure that Harry Byrne's going to be there um, having come back in. I guess if they have Conan and Ruddock back, then that changes the back row 
almost entirely with Doris coming back in. But it's one of those where it's just it's very hard to predict what their team's going to be, I think. Well, just very quickly before we go, uh, because we have haven't really dealt with that many of your listener questions this week, but we'll get w- one more in before we go. It's not about the the Leinster game, so we can put that chat to bed until next week when hopefully we're back talking about uh, Ulster's brave victory in in Dublin. Jim Fredericks uh, instead uh, has a question about the, well in reference to the newsletter, Jonathan. Uh, your rugby newsletter which comes out every Monday lunchtime people can sign up for it on the website we'll have do a, little, a bit of a plug for that on the website tomorrow people can keep an eye out for it if they want to sign up so uh, Jim says that you mentioned in your newsletter that there will be smaller squads likely next season due to reduced finances he asks how likely are we talking and what does that mean for uh, Ulster's academy players yeah well if you look at you know the fact that you know there's stories out there that the Pro 14 or the Irish teams don't expect to have crowds again until the autumn and just the continued pinch that that creates on the budget the money has to come from somewhere in an ideal world it's not going to come from the top earners that they feel like they need to compete in Europe obviously Ulster situation changed somewhat by Marcel Coetzee's departure um, but he also needs to be replaced so a good chunk of that money needs to go towards that mm-hmm. So the area where it makes the most long-term sense is the players that at this stage they don't think are going to become Irish internationals. They're not going to get any better compared to the stars and compared to the young players. Mm. So that sort of middle of your squad, if you like, is to me where it makes the most sense for there to be the contraction. And that opens up an awful lot of minutes during the international window. So, you know, when guys are away in the Six Nations or away in the Autumn Internationals, should these things all happen, then minutes that would have went to what you may unkindly refer to as squad players would have to go to guys in the academy because you're not going to have the 50-odd players to use. Yeah, an interesting point that uh, we will no doubt be, be addressing come next season. So that's pretty much us for this week. As I say, you can keep your eye out on the website if you would like to uh, sign up for the Rugby Newsletter from Jonathan every Monday with occasional input from Adam and even myself whenever we're really desperate. That's, yeah, that's us for this week. We will be back next week. And between now and then, you can keep an eye on Belfast Telegraph website in the paper and the Sunday Life for all the latest news. For now, though, from Adam McKenna. Thank you, Adam. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you. And myself, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.